On this episode of Red Dirt America, I talk with Adam Hood about his brand new album, Bad Days Better. And we also talk ghost. I think spirits is a, you used a very appropriate word there. That's the first, that's the first run in I've ever had with a ghost in my life. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance. Pledge allegiance to real country music. This is Red Dirt America with Chuck Taylor. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the new album, Bad Days Better. It just came out. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you, the uh, the single that we've been playing, Harder Stuff, hmm. in my personal opinion, and, and in my opinion means nothing in, in the world of music, but... Oh, come on, Chuck. It, it, it doesn't, but it's probably the finest song on the radio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, thank you. That's yeah. A, you hear a lot of them too, man. And that's a, that's a, that's as high of a compliment as anyone's given me about that song. And <laughs> so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, I, th- I think part of it is because it comes from truth, right? Mm. And I think that's what makes great songs is when they come from truth. Yeah. And, and not only that, it was kind of an undeniable thing really with that song because of the fact that, you know, I so Davis Nix is so there were three guys besides myself that participated in the writing of it. Davis Nix, uh, Brent Cobb, and Charlie Starr. And so I had Davis and I were on the road together, and I had mentioned to him that I had this idea because it's been about three and a half years since I decided to quit drinking, and this was the, in my first year of it. And you know, first year was was a. I mean, I don't want to say it was. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. Well, you picked a hell of a time. It was during a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, right in the middle of it too. I know, (laughs) but I had no choice. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, life was, was, was not, not forcing me. I could have kept going, but it was, it was time. But, you know, I, I decided to, and, and I, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that you have to kind of deal with looking at yourself in the mirror and realizing, well, here's one of the reasons why I drank, because I don't like this. I don't like that. And so in talking to that, talking to Davis about those things, that became the kind of context. And I said, you know, I I had this idea for it being the harder stuff and and explained it to him. And that was about it. And the next day or maybe a day or two later. Um, we were in Fort Worth, actually, and uh, he walked into the hotel room and said, OK, I got this idea for the song. And he played me the chorus. And I thought, well, I'm not going to say no to that. You know <laughs> right. I mean? Like, And I mean, the chorus that, that he played for me is the one that, that we wrote. And so we went in the next day and we wrote the first verse and the chorus and, and then uh, and just kind of left it hanging after that. And Brent and Charlie and I finished up. But yeah, I mean, had it not been for Davis presenting it to me and it and it being like that, I don't I don't know that I I don't know that I'd written I would have written it because it kind of lends itself. And I hate to use this word, but it kind of lends itself to a soapbox. And that's not that's not my intention. My intention is not to sway anyone's opinion. It's just my story. You know, I mean, I don't I don't have an issue with anyone's drinking as long as it doesn't hurt me or, or, or them or anyone else around them. I don't I don't care, you know, but for me, it's just not what I want to do anymore. And and yeah, it's it was it was really uh, it was forced honesty on me. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you, like I said, truth is because it, it comes from the truth is, is one thing that makes it probably the finest song on the radio. The other is that it's so relatable. There are yeah. millions of people out there that are going to relate to that song. Thank you. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of text messages, especially because we put it out. Uh, I guess what? April, well, probably May. I think yeah. May 16th was when we put it out as a single. Um, but 
I, that first week that it hit radio and, and, and went to the socials and stuff, um, I got a lot of text messages and it was stuff like that. It was like, man, you know, I, I heard your song and I pulled over or I heard your song and, you know, I just wanted to send you a message and let you know that this meant something. And that's when you realize that, that you know, something bigger than me is going on with these things. You know, it's not just about me or Miranda or Brent or anything. It's really, it you know, it's it's. It's, it's the, the vibe of music touching people's lives. And I don't know, it's, you, you can't really create those kind of things. Well, but you do kind of create them all the time. Yes, it's correct. a songwriter. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. I guess you're right. <laughs> but but the, the hope is, I mean, you know, and that's the thing, like, is for as many of them as I've created, I haven't necessarily, I don't know that I've, that, that it's, it's never been my intention to dig that deep into myself, much less anyone else. And, and even so to, not just to dig, but to go there with people and for people to go, man, this song really touched me. Like that's not, that's not the intention. The intention is just to, like you said, it's, is to create something as honest as I possibly can, you know, but you don't, you don't know what it's going to do. You know, you don't know that people are even going to like it, much less say those things. Well, this is, you know, and, and I've known you a long time. This is, like I said, uh, and I've listened to the whole album now, but this is Adam Hood at his best. If, 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 if it takes three years of sobriety to get you to, to this album and, and, and I'm not knocking any other album, all the other albums were great. You know, we've, we've talked about your albums before we've talked, you know, uh, about your music and, and I'm, a, I'm a fan. Not only do I play the music, but I'm a fan of the music, Thank you. but this is like a whole nother level. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it, it it really is kind of a humbling experience. Just the fact that I don't know, it's just been really really well received. You know, I just I sure am thankful. <laughs> that's it. That's about the best I got. You know, maybe something had to do with uh, making Georgia and Capricorn mm-hmm. Studios and the spirits of Al Green and Otis Redding and oh. and all those great spirits being in that place. I think spirits is a, you used a very appropriate word there. That's the first, that's the first run in I've ever had with a ghost in my life. And so, so I actually, there was a, there's a GoPro camera that sits in the control room. And after, I mean, Charlie will vouch for this. Um, we were talking about this on in an interview the other day that, that uh, you could, we all left the studio and Rob Evans, the studio manager had the GoPro on his on his camera, just filming in real time. And you could clearly hear a conversation going on between a man and a woman in there. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know who it was, but wow. they were there. And then, and then Brent said that uh, he and Ben Ratliff, my manager, they were down there. And, and I think someone had heard, I guess they had heard footsteps upstairs and thought that it was Charlie. And so Brent called or text message Charlie and said, Hey man, um, we're walking out the door. Just lock up when you leave. And Charlie was like, Oh, I'm already at the house. Wow. I know, man. <laughs> Pretty creepy. <laughs> but it was cool. I mean, that's the whole vibe. That studio is, and I've, I've said this before uh, recently, that, that that room had as much personality as any uh, any tracking room 
I've ever been in. And I mean, dude, I've been to RCA. I mean, I've recorded in RCA a couple of times. I mean, that's where that's where the whole thing went down. That's where Elvis recorded. Right. Exactly. And so but but um, Capricorn, you could just tell in real time, like usually you kind of have to listen to the playback and go, oh, okay, I see kind of sonically how this works. But with Capricorn, you could just really feel it like there's a warmth there and the way the lighting is and just the panels around the room. And it's just real, man. And it's it's the the whole thing is perfectly intact. I mean, it's it's the room that it was when the Almond Brothers recorded in there. Are they using all the old equipment, the same board and the same outboard? No. That's the only thing that's different. They because and uh, Mercer University bought the place, and so uh, there. I, I don't know if it was the dean or just the head of the department or what, but uh, he he came in and said that when they bought the building, they the ceiling had collapsed and the floor was caving in, and uh, and so they didn't really have a whole lot of hope for any of it. But they walked into the studio to the tracking room, and it was all perfectly intact, and so. So that could keep the room, but the equipment, I mean, aside from a few amps and things like that. Um, and like, I think uh, Chuck Lavelle's got a, he's got a B3 there and I think he's got a piano there. And um, I think they may have something else like that with keys that, that was Greg's. But uh, but for the most part, a lot of that stuff was damaged, but they've got a brand new console and, and it's really nice. And, and they've got, they've got some great stuff there. And, you know, and that's, that's the thing with COVID, they had just opened that studio December 2019. Well, March 2020, everything shut down. Yeah. I mean, we were the first official full length album that's been recorded at the new Capricorn studio. So it's a real it's a real honor. Wow. And, and, and so much history. Like, you know, we mentioned Otis Redding. You mentioned the Allman Brothers, you know, Al Green. So much history in that. And, and, and to record in a place like that, that has so much history like RCA or like Sun yeah. Studios to to pick up those energies and those vibes. There's nothing like it in the world. I completely agree. And and I, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer in those things. And, and I don't you know, I, I feel like that those that those energies are in churches and I feel like those energies are in 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 studios and and you can find them there and Capricorn is one of them. I mean, you know, I've been to fame, like I said, I've been to a couple of places and, and, you know, you can tell that things went down in a lot of those places, but Capricorn's got, man, that place has some real personality. I mean, it really does. It was really, and and we spent four, we spent a week down there. Like we, we all went and got us a big old Airbnb and me and Richard and Charlie and Brent and, and uh, Ratliff and a I mean, like we just, it was kind of a, well, it was a big house, basically, kind of like, you know, like the brothers did, you know, back in the in the 60s and 70s. They all kind of con- it was a big commune. And that's what we did for about a week. And I, I mean, you know, I think it's it's really, you know, a lot of a lot of the reason why this record turned out the way it did. Yeah, it, 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 it like I said, it's it's a fantastic record. I had mine for a little bit longer than than the release, which I was glad to get it. And well, had, rightfully so had the opportunity <laughs> to listen to it and, and kind of live with it. And it, it really is like I like I said earlier. I think it's probably the finest album you have done, and that's the, again that's one person's opinion, but yeah. you know, that's that's where I feel that it is. When you were, someone, I mean, go ahead. No, you go ahead. From someone that you know, like like yourself, that you know, we you and I have a lot of history together, and and you've not only have have you heard a lot of different music, you've heard a lot of music from my peers and my heroes, and and then my entire catalog. And so, I mean, you know, if anyone can judge and say, all right, out of all that I've heard, this is what I like best. I mean, I I think I think your voice is pretty resounding. So, thank you. Well, and, and I've heard other people do your songs too, right? Mm, that's you know, true. Yeah, you know, and and. To me, this is 
you know, even even having people like Little Big Town and and other people recording your songs, this to me still tops all of that. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. It's an interesting thing. Like, you know, I and and I'm I'm a broken record about this stuff, you know, just because John Hyatt has always been the guy that 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 mm. set my trajectory. And it's because of the fact and, and for, for two reasons. Number one, Hyatt was a was eclectic. You could listen to his albums and you could you could hear rootsy stuff, you could hear bluegrass stuff, you could hear jazzy stuff, you could hear blues, you could hear country, you could hear all kinds of stuff, like any style of like a, a rootsier music form. Um, Hyatt covered it. And he also was was someone who made his own albums, but was known for being, you know, he wrote Angel Eyes and he wrote Drive South and he wrote songs like that. And and not only did he write those songs, he recorded those songs too. So it's not like he sat down with Susie Boggess. Like that was an, an out that was a song on a John Hyatt album that that she picked or that, you know, Jeff Healy picked, or that, you know, I mean, feels like rain that Buddy Guy picked. Like like Hyatt had recorded those songs himself. And to me, like that's a higher compliment. And you know, and there's nothing wrong with sitting around writing for people. I like that. It's fun. But for an uh, uh, you know, I mean, you're talking about that's high caliber artistry to to go and say, I've been listening to this song of John Hyatt so much. I want to record it. That's that's high. That's really I mean, that's when to me, that was always the pinnacle. And so to, you know, be to be to that guy, that I've done that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was what I wanted to do since I was 17. And here I am 47, 30 years later, <laughs> still doing it, you know. So I, at least I've carried on something. I've been consistent with with something. Which hat do you love to wear the best? Do you love the the songwriter or or do you like that hat where people are recording songs that you've written and songs that you've recorded? The writing stuff has been really fun recently. And I think, you know, and it kind of goes back to the sobriety aspect of it. I think I think just it, it kind of got to the point to where because I couldn't run from my problems anymore, I had to I had to I had to really stop and go what are you so pissed off about? You know, what's your problem? And, and I couldn't answer it. I, I had, you know, and so if you can't tell yourself what's wrong with you, then there's no reason to fix it. So there may be that maybe then there's nothing wrong with you. And so because of the fact that I had to find a positive side of things, it really started the whole ball rolling of, of, of just the challenge of, of just going in there and trying to work with other people and saying, all right, you know, what is this person really trying to say? And then just starting to be prepared. Like, you know, with Travis Tritt, you know, Brent and I went and wrote, we spent three days with Travis uh, writing for that uh, Set in Stone album, which yeah. Set in Stone is a song that we wrote together, Brent and, Char- and Travis and I. And I mean, man, I was the same thing. I was a child and, and Travis was the guy that I related to. And so it was really important for us to do our homework, Brent and I, like we got together and we started working on songs before our writing appointments with Travis and it worked. And so we kind of took that and, and, and learned from it and said, okay, well, since it worked this one time, let's do it again. And so that's what we've been doing. And, and so I enjoy the whole idea of being prepared. I enjoy doing my homework on, on other artists and going, okay, what do they have and what are they missing and what do they, what do I think they need and what do they think they need? And just kind of having verses and choruses and just little, little clips of things that, that are my opinion. And, and a lot of times we walk in there, we don't use any of it, but it's always good to be prepared. And then it's just good to muscle through songs. It's good to say, this, this is a stupid idea that we made a great song out of. That's fun to me. And I'm enjoying the writing part of it more than I ever have for sure. 
You you brought up Brent a couple times. I know he uh, he was a, a big factor in this album. I think he produced right. Yes, he produced it. Yeah, and pretty much picked the songs. I mean, he you know between Brent and Ben Ratliff, I mean those they kind of facilitated this whole thing happening. So yeah, I mean, and I I I gave him the ball. I said, okay, you know, this is an opportunity where where I'm you know I know that that I have opinions on things like this, but but I also. I know, well, Brent made, made a, uh, he posted something about it today and said, you know, he made the comment that it's hard when you're in the middle of something, when you're as close to this as I am, it's hard to really gauge what, same thing. It's hard to gauge what I need and it's hard to gauge what I'm missing in my repertoire. And, you know, and so having Brent there, it was able from I was able to you know have someone who is close to me. I mean you know he's besides Jason Eady, he's my best friend. Yeah, and and my wife of course. But you know he's he can say okay, look man, here's what I think you need on this, and I can take his suggestions and opinions, and, and you know use them. And and you know I'd say, I mean I wouldn't say a hundred percent of the time he was right, but a good ninety five percent he was right on this record. So I mean yeah, I mean he was he was as integral a part of it as any anybody was. I mean he he and like I said, Ratliff facilitated the 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 setting everything up, and, and Brent got everybody together and, and was the captain of the ship, and I let him do it. Do you think that him knowing you as well as he he does, that he got some things out of you that another producer may not have been able to get out of you? One hundred percent. I mean, that's that is exactly why this record is turned out the way it has, because no one else has, will, can do that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I said, there's just nobody that understands and, and has has listened to my music enough to where, you know, they can say what they, you know, they know me well enough. And they know my, not only does he know my music, he knows me as a person well enough to say, all right, I know Adam's. I know Adam's full of crap right here. And then I know he's being honest on this song. And so he, you know, he went back and, you know, went through my whole carnival catalog. I mean, that's like 250 songs. Wow. So there's a, a, a pile of stuff that, that he dug through and, um, and yeah. And at the, yeah, it, I, no one else could have done that job. No one, I can't think of anyone else that could have done that job. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the Cobb and hood tour, by the way, you know, cause we talked about <laughs> yeah. that a few years ago at Americana Fest. There needs to be the Cobb and hood tour. I think, you know, I, I bet that's st- especially with all this stuff going on. I think that's more likely than you realize. <laughs> it's funny. That's true. Yeah. You, you, you'd be, you call it, you know, straight as an arrow with Cobb and hood. Yes. And we uh, like Brent had a whole slogan to it. It was like taking music from the rich and giving it to the, I don't know. You have to, he's a, he, he, I think he probably wrote it down somewhere, but it's like a whole spiel, a whole, a a whole, uh, a whole slogan. Well, one of these days is going to happen. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, he was working hard on it for a little while. And and I think that if, if I was skeptical, which I don't know why in the Lord's name I would be, but if I was, I'm, I'm sold on it now for sure. So let me ask you this, when you get into the studio and, and I know a little bit about uh, commercial recording, we get, uh, I'm teaching a class in commercial recording. So I know a little bit about when you get in the studio, sometimes a good producer is going to find an interest element that maybe the, the songwriter or, or the musician didn't think of when they got in there and it's going to stand out in a song. You go in there thinking it's going to be one way and you get in the studio Maybe you're thinking it's going to be up tempo. You get in the studio and you decide we're going to slow it down or, or vice versa. 
Is there any song in there on the album that you went in in your head thinking it was going to be one way, and by the time you and Brent got together on it, it was a completely different song? Most definitely. Um, Harder Stuff was one of them. I mean, when we, when Davis and I started that song, it had more of a how I got to Memphis feel. I, lately, I just been hanging on. I love people, but I ain't that strong. And so, it, like, it, it, like he took it from us more of a straight beat kind of feel like that to, to the, 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 you know, the ballad that it is. And then Flesh and Blood is probably a, a lot more of a direct, uh, uh, direct example of that because that was probably... That's an old song. I mean, it was Brent and I started writing together like 2009, 2010, maybe, maybe a little after that, uh, some sometime in that time period. And uh, that was one of the first five songs that we wrote. And and I, I didn't care much for it. And in fact, we the we had had we had had the verses, but the hook line, like the flesh and blood was different. I can't remember what it was, but. Uh, Brent's wife said, uh, whatever it was, she said, I don't like it. She said, I, you know, and, and so we kind of dug around and I think it was, maybe it was her that came up with the, you know, when you're just flesh and blood. And I still didn't care much for the song. It sort of had this, it had a bounce that I didn't really, I didn't get it. You know, it, it to me, it sounded a little hokey and, and same thing. He said, just trust me, just trust me. I was like, all right, well, whatever. And man, as soon as he played that song and we changed the key and as soon as Charlie and them hit that main Man, on the downbeat, I was like, oh, all right, I get it. And I went in there, and it's like I said, I I heard them start playing the song the way they started playing it, and they played it just like it is on the record, and I got it. So, yeah, there was a number of occasions where it was like that. Like I said, those are two of the more namely ones, but I would say— Business, uh, uh, yeah, business with Jesus is a little bit different. Um, I wrote that with Pat McLaughlin, and it's got a little bit more uh, kind of acoustic kind of feel to it, where you know there's a mandolin part in it and stuff like that. And so I don't, I had written it more like an Al Green song. Yeah. And well, I was into that Ry Cooter album that uh, the, the I think it's what that Chicken Skin Boogie album where it's like Jesus on the main line. Yeah, yeah. So that was what I was really listening to, and I borrowed from Jesus is on the main line to t- pull from that to write those songs uh, to write the lines. You know, b- dealing with the devil's been hard as hell. Now I'm doing business with Jesus, and so and and with Pat, if I take if I can, and I've always said this, if I can take him four lines, we've got a great song. Like we wrote the Tennessee wheel together. We wrote way too long together trying to write a love song. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of my most noticeable tunes I wrote with Pat and it's because of that. It's because as long as I can take him a few, a few lines, um, we're, we're off to the races and business with Jesus was one of them. What was it like working with Charlie and the guys from Blackberry smoke in that studio? So here's the cool thing about Charlie. Um, he and I grew up 20 minutes from each other. So no way. To, yeah. Oh, yeah. He went to Valley High School, graduated in 92. I went to Opelika High School, graduated in 93. So, I mean, we our, our high schools played each other in football. and But we never met, strangely enough, um, until I did some shows with him. Uh, I think we did a show with him in North Carolina. And, and so, like, we had kind of crossed paths maybe once on stage. And, of course, had a, a, a mutual friend or two. Um, it just, like, there we had a buddy named Brett McDaniel that's, that was, a, uh, he was, ran sound for a, a pretty uh, 
pretty infamous club down in Auburn, uh, the Warrego Supper Club that everybody and their mama played at. And so, um, but Brett, uh, I think he's from Charlie's hometown it's, and I, he's a, a dear friend of mine. And so we, we were very well acquainted, but had never really spent any time together until we walked into the studio together. And uh, I mean, we became very fast friends and are still very fast friends just because we have so much in common from how we grew up and where we grew up. And I mean, it's kind of amazing. We didn't date the same women, to be honest with you. I mean, those Valley girls were, Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So l- let me ask you this. We'll do a f- few quick uh, past questions. Yeah. What's a word that perfectly describes you? Just one word that perfectly describes Adam Hood. Southern. Southern. Is that? Yeah. I mean, I think and, and, and man, you know, it's funny that can that can be taken so many different ways in this day and age. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I, you know, I can hear how I sound when I talk, you know, and I, I hear I hear the subject and the content of my songs. And uh, and there's a there's I'm I ain't changing, you know, and I, I'm not I don't want to change just because of the fact that that like uh, I don't. I don't think it is. I don't, I don't think that that dialect is the dialect of a hick. You know, I mean, I, I think it's just that, that there's just something special about being down here. I mean, you know, we still live here. We still live in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because it's it's where we want to raise our children. And so I just really like I, the, the books that I read are all like Rick Bragg books and even like Louis Grissard and stuff like that. Like I'm into that kind of stuff. I love I love the history of the South and and just you know just the 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 climate and and the the pace and everything and so I, I feel like I'm kind of a product of my surroundings but yeah I mean I think that like I said I, I know I've said that a bunch that's that's kind of how I've I, I have um, aggressively described my music as being Southern <laughs> but but I mean as a person I feel like I am too yeah you're probably a big Paula Deen fan then. Oh, uh, well, I mean, for kind of, I have my, like on Sundays maybe, but you can't be too big of a Paula Deen fan and still fit into your blue jeans. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> so what is something that your wife's parents probably dislike about you? Uh, my earring. Your earring. Yeah, for sure. That was like the first thing that Brittany's dad said about me. He said, he said, well, Darlene, uh, what does the what does it mean when you got your earring in your left ear? And so I mean it was it, and that was it. So he, so I think the earring was probably <laughs> you might have to cut that out. How, how about something you think you're good at, but your wife says you suck at? Oh man, um, uh, uh, responding to emails. I think I'm really good at getting back to people, and apparently I never I, I'm really bad at it. That's one thing. Um, uh. Yeah, that's that's probably the most. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm really great at, 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 at being receptive and responsive. And, and I don't think I'm very good at it at all. <laughs> and and I'll close it out with uh, one last question here. What song changed your life? Oh, good question. Hmm. Um thing called love. Yeah. Hyatt's thing called love. I think that was the one that was the one that I saw. I remember. So my mom, and again, this is, I, I, this is the same answer I've given a, a, a lot, but it's, it's because it's true. And I remember it distinctively. Um, but my mother 
had a cassette tape of Bring the Family, and I was in high school. And that was right, like, I grad, so I graduated in 93. That means, like, the class of 89 to 91. That was Alan Jackson, Travis Tritt, Clint Black, Garth Brooks. Like, that was, I mean, you know, yeah. I remember those days. That was the golden age, especially when it was, like, that was the golden age of all of it. That was really when country was great, and there was plenty of it. And it was on the radio, and it was on the television, too. And, like, you know, Garth was at Central Park. And so, you know what I mean? Like, it was really as commercially accepted worldwide as it could be and still as creatively entertaining as it could be at the same time. Like these guys are great. They were really super talented people. And so, um, and, and I was a sponge at that time. Like that was really the first couple of years when I was, I mean, I started playing in front of people when I was like 14, 15. So, you know, 88 to 93. I mean, those are really important years for me learning how to play guitar and how to sing and how to do it in front of folks. And so uh, when I was junior year of high school, maybe I said 16, 17, my mother brought home Bring the Family on a cassette tape. And she, she you know, she's like, this is John Hyatt. And my mom listened to like David Sanborn and all. I mean, like, you know, I mean, Sanborn's a great saxophone player, but hey, my kind of music. Right. You know, but Hyatt changed things. And, and that was when VH1 was popular, too. And so Bonnie Raitt had like I, I remember seeing Bonnie Raitt's video of Thing Called Love that Dennis Quaid was in. And I guess it was I don't I don't know if it was for a movie or what it was. It, maybe it was Great Balls of Fire. I can't remember anyway. But I remember seeing that song on TV and going, man, that's a cool song. And then with it or a days, maybe a few weeks, here comes my mother with a cassette tape of the guy that wrote it. And I didn't know that those things happened. Like, I didn't understand that Garth Brooks didn't write the dance. I didn't understand that Clint Black, well, he wrote all his songs. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's a bad example. Understand. Yeah, I know. That's a poor example. But, you know, I didn't realize that there were guys that were writing these songs that other people that I was into were recording. And, and Hyatt was the first time I'd ever actually said, oh, wait, because I heard, again, I heard his song and I was like, oh, yeah, I just heard that song. That's Bonnie Raitt. And then you, there, you, that was when you could actually read liner notes. And I was like, oh, written by John Hyatt. Well, interesting. And so I started looking everything up. Oh, wow. This is written by Tony Arata. Oh, wow. This one was written by, you know, uh, you know, whoever, Bob McDeal or, 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 you know, Sonny Throckmorton or whoever it was. And so just, you know, I mean, I was like the kid, the little, the little kid that dressed up like a bee in the, in the blind melon video. Like <laughs> that changed my life. My kids are talking loud. Sorry. That's okay, man. That's okay. You're a family man, right? <laughs> it is real life. Yeah, it's absolute real life. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking some time and, and talking with me. It's been too long since we've had a chance to chat. Man, and I, I, Chuck, I can't thank you enough, brother. It really means a lot. Thanks for for just your support with this, and thank you for your kind words. I mean, it, I, but it it puts wind in my sails for someone like you, who's that, like you, like I said, you know, we just had a lot of history, and it means a lot that 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 you have the the things to say about this record that you do, and um, it's very encouraging. And in this this part of the process, I, I need all the encouragement. I can get <laughs> We ain't even got the wheels turning good yet. We hadn't quite put it in drive. And so I, I really appreciate everything, man. Thank you. Well, you know, with, with our history, I wouldn't tell you if, if it wasn't true. Yeah, I would hope not. I mean, I would I would rather I would rather you be honest with me and go, ah, you may ought to get back in the studio a little quicker than you want to. Or, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you ask any of, of our friends who also know me and they'll tell you the same thing. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. Good. I appreciate that. That's the last thing I need.
If you enjoyed this episode of Red Dirt America, make sure you like and subscribe so you won't miss any more episodes. And if you'd like to, leave a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks, and we'll see you down the road.